I found it difficult to even sing the words to holy, holy, holy. To think that a holy God, knowing the dreadfulness of what sin was, would become a man. Can you think of any greater love than that? Knowing our sinful condition, a holy God stooped down into time to become a man in order that the sin question might be once and for all taken care of. The message today is a two-part message on the law. Today, I tend to refer this as kind of like going through the mechanics of it, which is also what I do and what I say to the Holy Spirit before I come in the mornings. When God gives me a message, I have to go through the mechanics, if you will, search through the scriptures, seek to understand it myself, before I can speak about it. And at the end of the day, I just say, Holy Spirit, I've done the mechanics. I can't make it alive, but you can. And he does. Today, this subject is one subject throughout my lifetime that I found a lot of confusion over among believers. What do we do with the law of Moses? The best way to answer that, and if you will, if you take notice, you'll also see what is the best way in which to approach the study of Scripture. If you study a subject like this, you need to begin from Genesis and work your way through to the book of Revelation. And you can't pick out certain pieces of Scripture that supports your idea. You have to take Scripture as a whole. And I think it would be quite possible if I was to ask the question today, which I won't, but you can answer it in your own mind, is why did God give the law? One of the reasons that's most prominently stated is that that's a set of rules, regulations, whatever you will, that God set up whereby this is how we're to live life. But is that what Scripture says? I'd like to take you through the Scriptures to let you see exactly why God gave the law. When we do that, our minds have to go back to the beginning of creation. And I've mentioned this once, probably last year sometime in a preaching, so you wouldn't all have been there. But from the time of Adam until the giving of the law, when Moses was given the law, that was a period of time of about 2,500 years. And they were not under law during that whole time. As a result, there were no laws for them to break. 
If there's no laws to break, he can't be charged with offending a law. You can't break a law if there's no law. That was the condition in the world until the time of Moses. So they weren't charged with their sins because there was no law stating that this was sinful. If you look at it this way, they then were living under the grace of God. They didn't realize it, but this was God's grace that he did not charge them. They did not die as a result of their immediate sins, but they didn't understand what grace was. They could have no concept in that sense of what grace was because the only way that we know grace is when we've sinned. And God gives us something that we don't deserve. He gives us his favor and his goodness. So why was the law then given? Tammy read it just a little while ago from Exodus 20. All the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. And that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Moses tells them why God gave them the law. God has given this to you to test you and that his fear may be upon you so that you will not sin. Did it work? Did the fear of God prevent them from sinning? Absolutely not. During the time that Moses was back up on the mountain after the, he broke the first tables of stone, they already broke one of the commandments. You shall not have graven images, and they built the golden calf. Right from the very start, they disobeyed the law. What you may not have actually thought about was during the time that Moses was up for 40 nights, 40 days, speaking with God, that time was spent giving Moses instructions on the building of the tabernacle according to the plan that was already in heaven. That was the majority of the time which included the sacrificial system. Why? What was that all about? Well, the sacrificial system was set up. You had at least two of the offerings, the trespass offering and the sin offering. If you had sinned, you had to take an animal, and the shed blood of that animal was there on your behalf in order to take away your sins. God, knowing that Israel could not keep the law, provided the sacrificial system so that their sins could be covered. And in the Old Testament, they are covered. They're not taken away. We do not get that taken away 
permanently until the new covenant under Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Paul gives three reasons why the law was given. If you're studying scripture, as you read it, as you're searching, and these days it's simple in the fact that you can just do a search now for a word, follow it through, look at every reference, see what you can find out. And Paul gives three reasons why the law was given. First of all, to show up our transgressions, Galatians 3. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added later on after the promise that had been made to Abraham to disclose and expose to men their guilt because of transgressions and to make men more conscious of their sinfulness or the sinfulness of sin. And it was intended to be in effect until the seed, that is the descendant, the heir should come to and concerning whom the promise had been made, which of course was Jesus Christ. So, Paul says that the law was given so that we might become conscious of sin. Every time the law is read, whether you like it or not, makes you conscious of sin. The second thing that Paul says, it makes us sin conscious. No person will be justified, made righteous, acquitted, and judged acceptable in his sight by observing the works prescribed by the law for the real function of the law is to make men recognize and become conscious of sin. Not mere perception, but an acquaintance with sin which works towards repentance, faith, and a holy character. I would think that everybody here without exception would agree with this. It makes us conscious of sin. Even in the natural and you know me, I've talked about it lots of times with the traffic signs. If the speed limit is this, you want to break it. We always want to break it. And when we do, whether we realize it or not, we're conscious that we've broken the law. If you're not conscious of that, and you happen to see a red light going around, you're made conscious pretty quickly. So the law is intended to make us conscious of sin. Not only that, but Paul says, so that sin might increase even more. The law came in only to expand and increase the trespass, making it more apparent and exciting opposition. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, I would not have known what covetousness was unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But the moment you find out you shall not covet, the thing you want to do is covet. It's just built into us, unless it's just me. I have that tendency, that streak in me, to want to break the rules. Don't put rules on me. I'm going to get out from underneath them. And that's exactly what the law was given for. I thought it was a standard for, to live by. That's not what Scripture says. The law was given to show what sin was and to show the fact that we rebel against law and we become sinful. And in fact, the sin increases. 
This is what it was like for Israel under the Old Covenant. Let me make this clear. It might come up later on in the slides, so I might be repeating myself. But who was the law given to? Israel. Keep that in mind as we go. The law was given to Israel, not the nations. In Deuteronomy it says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. Imagine living under that kind of a rule. If you obey, I'll bless you. If you don't obey, I'm going to curse you. That's what Israel was living under. They had ceremonial laws. So the law, when the law is referred to, it can encompass not only the Ten Commandments, but their ceremonial laws, and there are sacrificial laws, there's laws concerning the priests, there's a lot of laws included in it. But there are times in Scripture where it zeroes in on the Ten Commandments only. So Colossians says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. These were the ceremonial laws that Israel kept. And when we come to the New Testament and we come to the time of the early church, there was this transition period where those that had grown up in Judaism tended to want to keep all of these celebrations and laws, not realizing that we're now living under no longer law but grace. And it took time for that transition to happen. Some of them wanted to go back to the sacrificial system. So there were sacrificial laws. But Hebrews says, when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or with offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. Under the first covenant, under the law of Moses, you were responsible to live up to the laws that God had given. If the priest were to disregard that, and if it was on the Day of Atonement and the high priest was to go into the Holy of Holies without a sacrifice for himself and his family and then also for Israel, and before all that he went in with a censer full of coals with incense on it, he would not have come out alive. There's also a misunderstanding just on this very point I'd like to make. I found this out many years ago when I was doing tours through a full-sized replica of the tabernacle at Huntley Street or Crossroads in those days uh, in the early 90s. 
And some of the tour guides were saying, you know, they, they put a rope around the leg of the high priest so that if he went in there and he sinned, something happened, they'd be able to pull him back out again. One of them that was doing this was a retired pastor. And he finally realized one day when somebody mentioned it to him, it could have been me, but I didn't. It wasn't me. First thing I'd say, well, show me. Show me in scripture where that is, and you won't find it anywhere. It's an old tradition that dates back many centuries in Judaism. This is what they thought. But when Aaron's two sons had offered strange fire to God, they were both killed at that point in time is when God said, okay, Moses, I want you to write this down. This is, the, this is what has to happen when the priest goes into the holy place or the high priest goes into the holy of holies once a year. And the rules were laid down to prevent this from happening. And I say, you know what? If I was the high priest, I think I'd follow those rules because I wouldn't come out alive. God did that to prevent that from happening. So we have the moral laws. This is where we get hung up. We no longer have sacrificial laws. Even Israel today don't offer sacrifices. Yes, they've started to, but not officially. So those have been gone. At the destruction of the temple in AD 70, they could no longer offer sacrifices. They needed the temple. So that's gone by the wayside. But the book of Hebrews, if you're listening and reading the book of Hebrews, you'll find that's what Hebrews is dealing with. There's the time between the crucifixion and the destruction of the temple where you had the Jews that would join the Christian church, but they wanted to introduce the laws of Moses and say you have to have the laws of Moses. Some of them were going back and saying we need to still have the sacrifices. So they go from a Christian church back to a Judaistic church so that they could have the animal sacrifices. That's what Hebrews is about. But that was not to continue. When we get to the Ten Commandments, this is strong language that Paul uses here in 2 Corinthians 3. God has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. That is, those that ministered along with Paul to spread the gospel. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. See, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If you're going to operate your life based on a set of rules, you will find it will kill any life and enthusiasm. It always does. But the Spirit gives life. That is the walk of the believer. And then he goes on to say this, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, do I need to interpret that? I don't think so. The only things that were written on stones were the Ten Commandments. And Paul calls them the ministry of death. 
If they were glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away? Let's stop at that statement. The ministry of death were engraved on stones. So he's talking about the Ten Commandments. They bring about death. Let me take a sidetrack here. A number of years ago, my wife and I attended a church. It was a Baptist church. And the pastor had a series of messages on the Ten Commandments. It was the time of our 40th anniversary. So we had bought a tent and decided to drive out to Vancouver Island and back. And we were there for the first couple of messages. By the time we got back, he had, I think, one or two messages left. And this is without exaggeration. This was a very small church. We were the youngest. We were probably in our early 60s. We were the youngest. Everybody's older than us, some of them 90. Prior to our leaving, there was enthusiasm among the congregation. People were beginning to come alive. We had Bible studies, but the pastor wouldn't take a Bible study, so they asked me to take a Bible study. We came back on this first Sunday that we were home, and we wondered what happened. And we were both sick to our stomachs. There was darkness on the face of everyone sitting in that congregation. They were so down. They were so discouraged. Why? The law kills. Am I saying the law is bad? No, I'm not. Paul says it's good, it's just, it's holy. But there's a problem that comes with it. When Moses came down and the glory shone in his face, it says, which glory was passing away is a clear indication of the fact when the commandments were given, they were glorious, as Paul says. But as they looked on Moses' face, the glory that he had been there in the presence of God was gradually fading as a clear indication that as time goes by, the law has lost its glory and it's going away because it's pointing us to the one that's to come, Jesus Christ. And we'll cover this as we go on. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. We need a ministry of righteousness. I've said this over and over again. Are you sin conscious or righteousness conscious? If you're sin conscious, you're still living under the law. If you're righteousness conscious, you'll be living in the freedom of the Holy Spirit and your life will be directed by the Holy Spirit, not by a set of rules. That is the difference between law and grace. Under law, you live by the demands of the law. It demands perfection from you. There's no bending. 
But if you live under the ministry of righteousness, you're living by the Holy Spirit. You're getting your direction from day to day, but from the Holy Spirit, not by a set of rules. The easiest thing to do for all of us, give me a set of rules, and now I know what I can and can't do. That's true for all of us. But if God liberates us and says, no, it's not a set of rules, it's because I want you to come to me and to find out from me what plan I have for your life. If we don't do that, we're missing out on that plan that God has already determined for us. But as we listen to the Holy Spirit, we will begin to live a Christian life that's vibrant, that's exciting. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. And you know you'll see that in people's faces. If people are, li are living under this grace, it'll come out in their countenance. If they're living under a set of rules, it will come out in their countenance. We noticed death had come upon the congregation and our hearts were broken. And that church, by the way, no longer exists. Jesus came to redeem the Jews who were under the law. I've specified that because the law was given to the Jews. I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. We started out when Albert mentioned about the holiness of God, and this is what struck me. Here is a holy God. He created this world. He had created man, and he looked at it, and he says everything was good. Then sin entered the world. But this holy God knew that beforehand and his plan was that he would come into this world as a man. Let that sink in. Jesus came born under the law during the time of the law to redeem those who were under the law. Is this trivial? The God of the universe gave himself so that Israel would be redeemed from the law. It was bad news. God knew it was bad news. And yet so many want to go back to that. It's bad news. We have been liberated 
as believers by the grace of God. What about the Gentiles? You might ask that question. What about the Gentiles? Well, Paul says when the Gentiles who do not have the law. Hmm. Well, Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law. Specifically to the Jewish nation. And he came to redeem them. But you see, he did not give those laws to the nations. The Gentiles who do not have the law, Paul writes. That's you and I. Well, partly. I'm partly Jewish, so I guess I've got a dual heritage there. By nature do the things of the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves and their thoughts accusing or else excusing themselves in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Paul has been developing his argument in this in the early chapters of Romans. And his conclusion is, it doesn't matter whether you're under the law or not under the law. Jew and Gentile have both sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat, whether you're under law or not under law. It's been devastating sometimes to watch the way people have become destructed because they're trying to live by the rules. This is only my observation. I could be wrong. But this is an observation I've made throughout my lifetime. One of the clear indications of people that are living under the law is that they become self-conscious. What's that involved? It first of all displays itself in how they live, how they, how they, they dress. So here's the struggle. I grew up wearing a suit. This is what we did. Most churches did. And back in those days, all the ladies here would be wearing hats. If you're old enough to remember that, many of the churches did. It expresses itself in outward appearance. I've, I've got to be careful how I say this. There was a lady that I knew, knew her quite well, older than I am. And upon her husband's death, um, her dress code changed. She always wears skirts and dresses. And I found it really interesting to see the next time I saw her after her husband had passed, she's wearing slacks. I don't know. Something happened. Choose for yourself. Something happened. But she was liberated. And she was liberated. She was ready to talk about the Lord where before, you know, she's under this cloud of whatever. Got to obey her husband. But it came out evident. Now she was set free. This is exactly what happens 
when we realize that the law no longer has a demand over us. We'll cover this next week. Our lives will change. I was speaking at a church and I said, if you get a hold of this, this is going to change the life of your church. And it will change. It'll change your life and the life of the church. So is it possible for anyone to keep the law? We think, okay, we can keep the law. You know what Jesus did? They thought they could keep the law. He says, okay, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in, her heart, in his heart. Okay, try and keep that one. Um, anybody that's not tempted by that, these guys, please raise your hand. Well, I better put mine down. He just made it impossible. He says, look, you can't keep the law. He just upped the ante. James says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. All I have to do is disobey one and all of them. Can I do it? Let me ask you this. Can you and do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Every day, every moment of the day? Impossible. But there was one that did. And Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. He was the only one that could fulfill the law of God. He loved the Lord as God with all of his heart. He wouldn't kill. He wouldn't steal. He wouldn't covet. He was the only one that could ever do that. Why? You need to ask questions from Scripture. Why? I do it all the time. I read something and I think, hmm, well, if that's true, why? What what's backs up that? Why, why is it saying that? So why? There's got to be something behind it. And I lost my thought. What was the last thing I said, Albert? We're all in the same boat. Sorry. It'll come back. But Jesus kept the whole law. That was what I was saying. Because, this is where I was heading, because when the believer believes in Jesus Christ, we are placed into Christ. He fulfilled the law. We are in him. Therefore, because he fulfilled the law, the law is fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God has done that. He's placed us into Christ so that what happened with Christ and he fulfilled the law, we have fulfilled the law. Imagine the God of the universe coming, to, stooping that low, to go into death in order that we might be set free from this. And then Paul's conclusion in Romans 3 is that both Jew and Gentile have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God.
Can we be declared righteous by keeping the law? And Paul writes, no one is justified or made righteous by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Law is not a faith. Law is based on what you do. Faith is based on what Christ has done. And until we get that clear in our minds, we're going to live under law and we're going to be under bondage the rest of our lives until we come to the point to realize that is not what God's plan was. He made a promise to Abraham 400 years before the law was ever given. And he kept that. And he's doing that for us. We're now living in the day of grace. God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Without keeping the requirements of the law, and as promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is, the, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This is the only way in which we can be made right with God and become righteous. Not by keeping a set of rules, but by believing in Jesus Christ. And he sets us free from that. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glory standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Freely, not based on what I do or don't do. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. Let me stop there for a minute. You may hear people criticize saying, well, this preacher or that preacher, they don't preach repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's not in some type of agony. and It's a, it's a change of mind. That's basically what it is. It's a change of mind. In order to believe requires you to change your mind. Obviously, you're believing something now that you didn't believe before, which required you to change your mind. The act of repentance is encased in the word believe. The moment you believe, you've been made right with God, based on what Christ has done, not based on what you or I have done, in the least. And don't forget, that's how we need to live our lives, exactly the same way. Not by what we're doing. We're the ones, we're basically a, a voice box for God. Christ is living inside of us, and he wants to use us to reach mankind with this message, that you can be made right with God by simply believing in Jesus Christ and what he has done. How much simpler could it be? This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. This is referring to the time from Adam until Moses. God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the times past. For he was looking ahead. God's outside of time. Our thinking is constricted to time. God's outside of time. For he was looking ahead and including them 
in what he would do in this present time. He already knew the sacrifice of Christ that would set people free from their sins. And if they're set free from their sins, there's no need for a law. Really? No. You're living by faith, not by sight. God looks on the... Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. That's what we're talking about. The law makes us outward appearance. I look fine and I'm trying to look better than the next guy. When inside is what really defines who I am. So he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God this did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. How much simpler that makes life if we begin to live by the Holy Spirit. It's more challenging. Let's be fair. To live by grace is much more challenging than it is to live by law. Because you know that the law says you can do this and you can't do that. If you live by faith in Christ, and you're, that requires you to communicate with the Holy Spirit. That's why we had messages on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to the believer. You need to be in constant communication with the Holy Spirit because that's where you're going to get your guidance for life. We don't know Many times we have, haven't got a clue what step to take next. If that is the case, step back, get into the presence of God, and in seriousness, ask him, what should I do? What is the next step? That is living in and under the grace of God. But we have to have ears to hear what he's telling us. And once we hear, we need to be obedient. What we do next will indicate what we have believed. If you believe it, but you don't act upon it, it's a clear indication you didn't get it. Let me ask you, are you winning the battle by keeping the law? Can you win the battle by keeping the law? The battle we face all the time is with sin, whether we're a believer or an unbeliever. There's a war going on within us between the spirit and the flesh, constantly, as long as we're here. If we're not living in the spirit, and our life is being guided by the spirit, we automatically go back under law. We digress. Therefore, we need to be constantly realizing that we need to be in communication with the Spirit. And if we don't, the simple fact is we're still in bondage. And that will show in our...